Greetings, everybody. How's it going? I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Good day, right? Unless you want rain. So, yeah, yeah, rain's good. We all want rain. That's good. Hey, we're going to look into scripture together in just a moment. Uh, can I have a little pastoral time with you together before we get to that? Is that all right? No? Hey, Jory, why don't you leave while I do a pastoral time with these guys, would you? Um, hey, I just want to have a little financial conversation with you. If you're a guest, this is not for you because, you know, your fear when you come into church is all they want is your money anyway. But if you look at our Lakeside Life, the program, and you look at the financial side of that, you'll see that we're running a little bit behind our budget. I believe God has called us to do amazing kinds of ministry in this community and this region. And to be able to do that, we have to fully fund it. Our business administrator, Mike Clockenbrink, told me this week, he goes, if you just tell everybody to give, like if everybody who's here gives two or three dollars more every week, that'll make it happen. And I'm like, okay, but I don't think that's all that realistic because some of you are in a spot where you go, I can't give one more dollar. And I understand that because Donna and I have been in that spot in our lives before, so I totally get that. And it wouldn't be quite right because some of you could like, I could do way more than that if you just ask. It's like, okay, Matthew. You know, because you, you could, and some of you have the capacity to be able to invest in the ministry that Lakeside's doing in ways that are just beautiful and that drive the mission forward and do amazing things. We're all about life change. Everything we're working on here at Lakeside, everything we're trying to do is about life change and transformation. And I just want to make sure you guys know that you have an opportunity to be involved in that by investing in it. Okay? And know this, this is not a coercive statement. I'm not trying to manipulate you because we already gave the offering today. So you got a week to think about it, and then let's see where that goes. Good? All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for all that you do among us. Uh, so many things that you're doing, uh, Lord, just things that you're doing in my life are wonderful, and I'm grateful for the gifts you're giving to me. And then, Lord, I hear stories from my friends here. And I'm just grateful for the things you're doing in them and through them to the people in their network, their oikos. I'm grateful for that. Lord, I'm just, I'm so grateful for all the work you're doing. And today, I pray that you would open up our hearts to you so that we know you. There's no greater gift in the world than to be able to know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so, open our hearts and our minds to you today and fill us with your spirit and lead us through your uh, story in your book, the Bible. We trust you through Jesus. Amen. So we have been taking the last month or so talking about the God who sees me. The series we're doing right now is all about the God who sees me. And we've been kind of walking through a little phrase that I hope you're grasping. I hope you've already got it locked into your head. Uh, it goes something like this. And this is, not, this is not a quote from Scripture. This is just something that we believe is true from the Scripture. And that's this. Number one, there is a God who sees you. It doesn't matter how far away from him you think you've been. It doesn't matter how far off the rails you have gone. It doesn't matter if you've not come back on the rails yet. It doesn't matter if you have your life together or if your life is a wreck. There is a God who sees you. And if you get that, it would be transformational in your life. There is a God who sees you. And if he sees you, he hears you. And so when you pray to him, it matters. He, he hears you. And if he hears you, it's because he's with you. He sees you, he hears you, and he is with you. If I could just 
come down there and plant that straight in your heart, I would do that for you to get it. Because I think that's what God wants you to know and to get. And as we've been talking through these issues about the fact that God sees us, we've been talking about some of the names of God. Some of the names we've been talking about are formal names of God. Some of the names we've been talking about are nicknames for God. So the name that we're using for the whole description of the series, the God who sees me, that's a nickname that was given to God by a woman named Hagar. We talked about her story a month ago. She was being ridiculed and abused by her mistress. There was all kinds of things going wrong, and she takes off into the wilderness. She's running away, and God finds her there and comforts her and encourages her to return. And he says, I'm going to be with you. And she nicknamed him. She said, you're the God who sees me. If that name has meant something to you over this last month, you can thank Hagar for giving God that name. He is the God who sees me. Then the next week, we moved on from there. We said, oh, there's, some, so there's other names of God as well. Like there's a name that God chose for himself. He said, this is my memorial name. This is the name you'll know me by throughout the ages. My name is Yahweh. It's a Hebrew word that means I am that I am. And none of us can say that. None of us can go, I am because I am. No, I am because he is. You are because he is. But God says, I am because I am. God is ever-present. He is always in the present. He's not really the God of the past. He's not really the God of the future, although he knows it. God is really infinitely present. And that matters in your life, to realize that God is in the present, and God is present with you. That name is Yahweh. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the story of Abraham and Isaac, and God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, and, uh, and Abraham takes this journey, takes his son. He's just about ready to sacrifice the life of his son. And God calls out to him and stops him and says, no, no, no. I know you love me. I know your faith. I know your heart. And Abraham looks up maybe across the altar and he sees a ram caught in the bushes. And he takes the ram and sacrifices that to God. And Abraham gave God a nickname. You're the God who provides. And maybe that name for God for you these days has been very meaningful, that God is the one who provides. And sometimes we get distracted because we work hard and we have skills and gifts and talents. We think, I did all this. Well, nice job. But God is the one who provides. And then last week, Pastor Sean did a great job talking about the book of Daniel. It's kind of a, there's a lot of hard stuff in there to understand, but one of the things that shows up in that book is God has this name, Ancient of Days. And so what do you do when you don't understand? What do you do when you can't figure out life? That maybe doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me. What do you do then? And Daniel says, turn to the Ancient of Days, the one who's been there for it all, the one who's been there through it all, the one who has seen everything and has all the wisdom of the Ancient of Days. Turn to him. And it's interesting because Jesus knew all those names of God the formal names, the nicknames, Jesus knew all those names of God, and yet the name that was the most precious name to Jesus was none of those. The name that was most precious name to Jesus was the name Father. I want you to think today, today for a few minutes about God our Father. Wherever you came from with your own father, whatever your dad was like, or whatever your dad is like, I want you to think for a few minutes about God, our Father. 
I want to start with some things that we learn about him through Jesus. So if you have your Bible there, why don't you open up to John chapter 1. And let me read for you just verse 14 from this passage. It's familiar to many of you, but maybe new to some. Here's what the Apostle John says about Jesus and his father. John says, the word, and that, that's another name for Jesus. So Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory or the character of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's fascinating is, just like us, Jesus had the character traits of his Father. Jesus had a remarkable resemblance to his Father. And I, you know, that's true of all of you, it's true of me. There are certain ways that I take after my Father. I have my Father's height or lack of it as it were i have my father's bill i've got a lot of my father's uh characteristics features if you will so this last week week ago my two brothers and i uh, went down to arizona went to phoenix and we went to spring training it's our annual um journey to spring training to watch baseball games. So we're sitting out in the sun, we're hanging out together, it's fantastic, we've got the long road trip, it's just this wonderful time. And so I'm hanging with my brothers and, you know, getting reacquainted and all the things that we do on that trip. And I got back, I'm telling Donna about the trip and how it was, and I'm describing my brothers, and she's known them for years and years, so she knows them all, or them both well. But I, 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 I told her that one of my brothers, which I won't name because he might be listening to the podcast, but I said, he's so stubborn. You know, you're on a trip for, for like 72 hours or something. You figure out what's going on. He's so stubborn. And my wife goes, like you? I'm like, oh, like my dad. He was so stubborn. And we all got, we all got the trait. We just keep passing it down. I've got stubborn children. I'll have stubborn grandchildren, maybe. If I had grandchildren, that would be fantastic. I'd take stubborn ones at this point. It really wouldn't matter. But you know what? You pass those traits down. That's how it was with Jesus. The Father passed traits down to Jesus. And so when Jesus showed up, the disciples recognized him as coming from the Father because he was full of grace and truth. You want to know the master features of God your Father? He is full of grace and truth. Which is a really hard balance to maintain. We are not all that good at it. Some of us are really good with truth. You know people, don't you know people who are really good with truth and not so much good with grace? And then don't you know some people that are really good with grace? It's all good, it's all nice, whatever, but they're not very good with truth. And God in his character is full of grace and truth. And the way, and the way they recognized Jesus was because he resembled the Father. And he also was full of grace and truth. This week, we're going to celebrate Holy Week. And so here at Lakeside, we're really big on, we're really big on Good Friday and Easter. Resurrection Sunday is how I think of it. Or for us, really, Resurrection Weekend. That's kind of how we think about it. But those aren't the only holidays that come this week. Really, tomorrow it starts with Palm Sunday. And then it goes on through the week. And there's a holiday right before Good Friday. On the day before Good Friday, there's a holiday or a holy day. Do you know that one? What? There's another name besides Holy Thursday. What is that? Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday. What? What is that? Who knew that? Who said that? 
What do you like, Episcopalians? All right, because that's what, I mean, that, you know, it's the high churches that sort of celebrate that. The rest of us kind of forget it. But Maundy means to wash the feet. It's Latin for to wash the feet. Well, the night before Jesus was crucified, he got his disciples together in a room, and he engaged in what is probably the most meek act in human history. The Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, took off his street clothes, got wrapped in a towel, knelt down and washed the feet of every one of his disciples. When they were done with that, Jesus took them outside. They went down the Kidron Valley, down into a little garden that was really an olive grove called Gethsemane. When they got into Gethsemane, Jesus went off to the side and he prayed to his father. Listen to his prayer in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Matthew writes, going a little farther, Jesus fell on his face, fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. My father, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me. In other words, I don't want to go to the cross. Jesus knew exactly what was coming. He knew he was going to be he knew he was going to become sin for the world. Not just take it on, not just carry it for us, although he did those things. The Bible says Jesus became sin for us. He knew that in the next 24 hours he was going to be nailed to a cross. He knew that he was going to be separated from the Father. Although I don't even know if Jesus understood all the implications of how he would feel about being separated from his Father for the first time ever. And he knew he would take on the sin of the world. Now it's interesting because Jesus knew all the names of God. There's not a name of God available in the universe that Jesus didn't know. He could have prayed to the God who sees me. I mean, his circumstances weren't all that different than Hagar's circumstances. She was being tormented and persecuted and chased down. She was being abused and rejected, just like Jesus she called out to the God who sees me. Jesus could have prayed to the God who sees me, but that's not the name to whom he prayed. He could have prayed to the Ancient of Days. He knew him. He'd known him forever. He could have prayed to the one who's seen it all, been there, witnessed it all, had all the wisdom in the world. That's not the one to whom he prayed. He could have prayed to Yahweh, the God of the present and the God who is present. He could have prayed to him. That would make tons of sense. That's not the name to whom he prayed. He could have prayed to the God who provides, just like Abraham. That would have been perfect. God, you are the God who provides. You provided a lamb for Abraham so he wouldn't sacrifice his son. Why don't you provide a lamb now? Oh, God who provides. He could have prayed to him. But that's not the name to whom he prayed. When he got into the Garden of Gethsemane and he was so stressed because of what was about to happen to him that it was like he was sweating drops of blood. And when he prayed, he prayed to his father. In the darkest moments, there's no one like the father. most desperate, there is no one like the Father. 
when you are in the greatest turmoil or the greatest need, there is no one like your father. And Jesus prays with him. Now, one problem for us is that when we come to those moments where it's really dark or it's really hard or we're really struggling, for some of us, our father is not the one we want to go to. Not all of us had the perfect father. In fact, I think on earth, none of us had the perfect father. I had a good, I had a good dad. I love my dad. I miss him. He's been gone like 16 years now, I think, or something like that. He was a good dad. He coached my baseball teams. He's the one who built a love of baseball into my heart, for which I'm grateful. He uh, went to concerts that I was in. He took me on hiking adventures. He was a good dad, but he was broken. He struggled with anger in some ways that landed on me. He struggled with infidelity in ways that landed on my mom and hurt our family. Still, I would say he was a good dad. Many of you know, though, that I found out many years ago now that my dad was married before he was married to my mom, and he had two other children that I didn't find out about until I was an adult. I've now become acquainted with my half-sister. When she was a child, her father abandoned her and her brother. Same dad as me. My dad was always there. Her dad was never there. Same dad. And I say, when you get in trouble, when you get in a bad spot, when you get in a hard place, there is no one to go to like your father. And some of you will go, not my dad. And the story of Jesus is a story to say, see beyond your human father if his brokenness got in the way of your understanding of God. Every dad is broken. But our Father in heaven is perfect. And when it gets dark and when you get derailed and when things go south, He sees you and He hears you and He's with you. He's our Father. amazing thing about our father is he knows us completely that's not all that comforting for some of us our father knows us completely and he loves us extravagantly and for some of us that's hard to accept because like oh if, if god knew me completely he would not love me extravagantly if anybody knew me completely they would not love me so much but the amazing thing about our Father in heaven is he knows you completely and he loves you extravagantly. You know this story? A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. 
And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. No one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said to himself, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? Yet I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let's eat and celebrate because this son of mine was dead and he has come back to life. And he was lost and has been found. But they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, well, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. And he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. You know that story? You know it? As a child who has a father like that, we often misunderstand that story because we call it the prodigal son. Most of us think the word prodigal means to be a rebel or to be a wanderer. It really doesn't. If you look it up in the dictionary, you'll find the word prodigal means extravagant. Here's a son who took off with his inheritance and extravagantly wasted it. But it's really not a story about the younger son. It's way more about the older son. It's way more about the older son who was like the Pharisees, who were party-resistant, Grace intolerant legalists. It's really much more about the older son. It's really much more about people like me. And yet, it's really not about the older son. It's really about the father. It's really all about the father. And the amazing thing about the father is 
in both cases with the son who went off and wasted all he'd been given and the son who never enjoyed a moment of life with both those sons, the father makes movement toward them. The character of the father is to move toward them. The character of the father is to move toward us. It doesn't matter if you're the younger son. It doesn't matter if you're the younger child. It doesn't matter if you've wasted every gift God ever gave you. The Father comes to you. And it doesn't matter if you're so locked up in your own legalistic, hard-hearted ways that you don't even come to the party, you don't even want to celebrate anything God has done. The Father comes to you. why when you get so far off track that you have nowhere to turn Jesus says call on your father in fact he taught his disciples to pray that way didn't he remember the story in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is giving the sermon on the mount and in the midst of that he teaches his disciples to pray He says this, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray to the Father, he gave us gifts. In our understanding of the Father, he gave us gifts. Like he says, the Father is not just my Father. God is not just my father. It was revolutionary when Jesus talked to the people of Israel about his father in heaven. They didn't like that at all. But Jesus said, look, he's not just my father. He is our father. He is your father. Your father. He says the father, your father, doesn't just hear you. He listens. We've been saying, there is a God who sees you, and if he sees you, he hears you. Yeah, but it goes, it goes better than that. Because you've all got people in your life that hear you but never listen. Ladies, do you have a husband? Isn't that how it goes sometimes? You know, he's hearing the sound because there's, there's, there's vibrations coming out of your mouth. But you know he's not listening. He's dialed into March Madness or whatever he's doing. And that probably goes both ways for us. But when the Father hears you, he also listens. And he knows what you need before you ask him. 
and he invites you to come to him. What a gift. There is a God who sees you. And if he sees you, he listens to you. And if he listens to you, it's because he's with you. And his best name is Father. Jesus, I am grateful to you for what you have taught us about your Father. And I'm grateful to you that you have made a way for us to come to him. Thank you. Father, I'm grateful to you. We don't have to come to you like pagans go to their gods, begging you, pleading with you, repeating ourselves over and over and over. We just come and talk to you and you listen. And you engage us. And you forgive our sins. And you heal our brokenness. And you give us life. Father, thank you for these things. Together we honor you tonight through Jesus.